You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Well, I'm delighted every Sunday to invite you to open your copy of God's Word to the sermon text for today, which is Revelation chapter 18, verses 9 through 24. Revelation chapter 18, verses 9 through 24. We're making our way along and uh, continuing to be encouraged by what we read in the book of Revelation about our future hope and even the future judgment that's coming upon the world. Well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas at our house. As I'm sure many of you did, we celebrated Thanksgiving with family, and then usually a day or so after that, we uh, run out to get our Christmas tree and set it up and put our decorations up so everything in our house is red and green, and uh, the excitement is rising even as our youngest daughter said in the midst of it all how much she loves this time of year. It is an exciting, beautiful time of year, and we are delighted to celebrate it in our home and as a church, though it does remind me we have a kind of strange tradition in our family is that we put all of our Christmas decorations up just after Thanksgiving, and we enjoy that month of celebrating and doing different Christmas traditions. And then on uh, Christmas morning, we get up and share the birth narrative from the Bible together. And we have that fun time of opening gifts to one another. We try to pace that out a little bit so it doesn't happen all at once. We enjoy some breakfast. And then right around noon, we take all of our Christmas decorations down and we put the tree out at the curb and we drive to family in Kentucky. And then when we come back, it's done. We come back to a straight house, nothing to clean up and put away. It's a beautiful thing. So if you happen to drive by our house on the afternoon of Christmas, everything is okay. When you see the tree on the curb, things have gone according to plan. And we are doing well. It is a beautiful time of year. Well, we're going to be moving uh, next week into a, a, a Christmas sermon series, which we do every December. But this year, we're going to stay in the book of Revelation as we preach through four weeks in chapter 19, because we are right on the brink of a big, bright gospel chapter in the book of Revelation, filled with big, bright hope and the truth of God's grace and all that we're looking forward to. And that's a major theme that continues on through the end of the book of Revelation. So it's a great opportunity for us to consider Christmas colored by Revelation, looking forward to our great hope, which has been accomplished for us because Jesus Christ came into the world. And he came into the world to save sinners like us. He came into the world on a rescue mission. And he has accomplished his eternal plan. And we're looking forward. And so we hope that as a church, this will be another opportunity for us to consider at this time of year, what is Christmas really all about as we look forward to what God has planned for us, his people. So we're looking forward to that, and we are actually preparing our hearts for that today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and then we will celebrate the Lord's Supper again as we do every month on the last Sunday of the month, which in December is Christmas. And so we will celebrate the Lord's Supper on Christmas morning. We'll have that morning just 10.30 service together, uh, not, no ABF that day. And so we're looking forward to that. And, and we ask that God would prepare our hearts for this month of celebration, reflection, and joy and happiness, that it will mean even more to us 
because we have considered these incredible plans that he has for us. But before we get to chapter 19, we have one more passage of scripture in which we will consider the hard reality of judgment. The judgment is in the midst of God's plan as an important part of God's righteous and just plan coming. But this morning, what we want this consideration of judgment to do for us is to create at least two things in our hearts. One is compassion. Compassion for the reality of judgment in the world. And second is joy, is a proper kind of happiness and anticipation of God's good plans, his good grace, and the way that he will set all things right. So that's our desire this morning is to look through this kind of longer passage, verses 9 through 24 of Revelation 18, but just considering two points. So let's look at the first point this morning, and it is the judgment in the future will bring around the world lament and fear and darkness. Let's consider this passage in just a few pieces together. We'll read little bits and then, and then take some time to look at them first. Revelation tells us that at this future time, there will be incredible mourning among the kings of the earth. Those who had had the highest positions, those who had enjoyed the most luxury, will feel an incredible sense of mourning. They will even stand at a distance in fear of the destruction that is coming upon their strong city, Babylon, which again, in the book of Revelation, is personified as a prostitute. This system of unbelief in the world that Jesus will put right in the end. Let's begin just looking at verses 9 and 10 to see these kings of the earth. It says in verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed acts of sexual immorality and lived luxuriously with her. Remember, this is, this, is, uh, uh, this is language that's trying to help us see a spiritual reality, not simply actual acts of immorality, but the, the kind of betrayal or treason against the true God is what's pictured here. Living luxuriously with her, they will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Think about what this says about their own hearts, about their their view of the world. They are weeping and mourning over the system of unbelief that is being dismantled by God's judgment. They're weeping and mourning over the prostitute whom they had served and loved and given their lives to. Standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, they are saying, woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. This is that intensified moment of final judgment when we've been seeing patterns of judgment down through history, but now intensified, all packed into this one incredible moment of destruction. They are in a kind of shock and awe about the judgment that is coming upon the world. But not only the kings, also, as the Bible says, those who are called the merchants, those whose lives were regularly lived in the system of unbelief for personal gain and trying to enjoy uh, without God all of the common grace gifts of his world. This is a little longer, verses 11 through 19. Listen to what the Bible says. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her. Because no one buys their cargo anymore. 
cargo of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every article of ivory, every article made from very valuable wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, perfume, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, and cargo of horses, carriages, slaves, and human lives. The fruit you long for has left you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and people will no longer find them. Verse 15, the merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city. She who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great, weight, such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and all who make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich from her prosperity, for in one hour she has been laid waste. These are difficult words. These are words of sincere heartache and ultimate, ultimate loss. These are scenes that, that, that we know in part now as the, the heartache of the hospital room or the funeral home. These are two really sad places most often in our lives. These are two places that none of us enjoy going. But here it is amplified. This is a picture of incredible mourning, of wailing and weeping and loss. I haven't known very much of that in my life, but the few instances that I have, they have been pressed into my memory, into my mind, into my heart. I think about times when I've been caring for people in the midst of incredible loss and crisis, even when they have lost loved ones. I once went to, to minister to a woman whose husband had taken his own life, and she had been out of town, and she was unable to get back in time to, to perhaps stop him. And I remember, I will never forget, standing in her backyard and being there next to his body and then hearing her car pull up. I will never forget the sound of her wailing. Unbelievable, heart-wrenching, devastated, wailing and weeping and crying. And even then, the horror of that moment and that memory cannot compare to what will come. We know that we live in a sad world. Everyone in our world knows that we live in a sad world. We do all of these things to try to cover it up, but in reality, we live in a world of, of misery and sadness. I was really interested to learn that one travel company tried to make good on the reality of sadness by encouraging people to go places by, by figuring out what is the saddest day of the year. In fact, it's called Blue Monday. In 2023, it falls on January 16th. The way that they came up with this was by using a kind of formula that would account for weather conditions and debt level, like the amount of debt versus the ability to pay it off. 
the amount of time since Christmas, another factor for the amount of time since everyone had failed at keeping their New Year's resolutions, the level of of low motivation in the world, feeling a sense of need to take action, and they're putting all of this together, they've determined that Blue Monday, January 16th, is the saddest day of the year. Our world knows that there is sadness. Sin makes sadness. But in the end, there will come a day that we're reading about this morning that will be sad like no other. Incredible loss. The great day of global loss under the hand of God's judgment. Now, I think if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, even though I have come a long way in understanding the gospel and I've come a long way in in appreciating God's grace, I have a long way to go. And there's a tendency in my heart when I read passages like this or when I even hear about the suffering of people in the world at their own hands because of their own sin, something that they they justly deserve, I have this tendency to gloat over it. I have this tendency to think, well, well, they're getting what they deserve. Good for them. But when we read these words, if we really understand the gospel, it should work in us a kind of compassion. Because when we read passages like this, we should, in an alternate universe, where we have not been shown grace, see ourselves. This would be our loss. This would be our weeping and our mourning. But because of grace, it is not. Therefore, what we want is we want for God to work in us a compassion for the world. Yes, a compassion for the fallen world. That in every instance, when we see people getting, quote, what they deserve, our hearts go out to them, knowing that we did not get what we deserved because of Christ. And perhaps that that would work in us a real increasing desire to make the gospel big and bright in the world while there's time, while the grace of God is being offered around the globe by missionaries and church planters and pastors and Christians, church members, that it would work in us this kind of compassion and that we would be more like, more like our God, the God who will bring this judgment Ezekiel 33:11 a key text of God's heart as surely as I live declares the sovereign Lord I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that they turn from their ways and live turn turn from your evil ways that's our message that is that is part of our christian message is that the gospel makes it possible for wicked people like us to turn from our evil ways and to turn into grace so that we would become part of God's family and to receive his mercy forevermore, knowing that he has committed himself to us, set his love on us from the foundation of the world. He has made promises to us in Christ that he has kept and will keep to the very end. And because of that, we rejoice. But because of that, We have real compassion. When you read these words, look at the loss. No one, no one should rejoice 
when someone's house is torn down, even because of their sin. No matter how dilapidated that house has become, you've probably seen houses torn down before. When they're all falling apart and condemned and they come down, that's not a time for rejoicing if you really think about it, if you can really look into what's being torn down. That was a place of incredible memories. There were children perhaps born into that house. Maybe there were people married into that family, into that house. There were Christmas mornings where gifts were opened, Thanksgiving celebrations where meals were spread. There was loss and people were comforted. There were birthdays and they were celebrated. That's what we're seeing here. We're seeing the whole world having enjoyed, though yes, sinfully without God, the many common grace gifts that he rains down on the world, the same gifts that you and I enjoy. Did you catch them? The just natural language that's communicating to us unbelievable loss, even of simple things, cinnamon, spice, incense, perfume, olive oil, wine, fine flour. Gold, silver, precious stones, all in the end lost. Therefore, what we want is we take the Lord's Supper and we're reminded of what he did for us, that he himself was torn down for us, that we would hear in the Lord's Supper the proclamation of Christ's death for us in our great need, that it was Christ's death and resurrection for us that pulled us by grace alone, out of this text and into his kingdom forevermore. And then as we see this happening in the world more and more, that it would work in us a compassion, a softness of heart. Not a get what you deserve, but turn from your ways and come into Christ because he offers you what you could never earn what could never belong to you if it was up to your deeds. Here in the Lord's Supper this morning, as we take it in just a few moments, the proclamation of Christ's death. We always read that text from Paul that talks about the Lord's Supper and and as we take it together, what we are remembering. And then there is that part at the end. For as long as you eat of the bread and drink of the fruit of the vine, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. You know what I've often thought? I've often thought of that as a proclamation in the simplest sense to the world. That as we take the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming to the world, and we are. But do you know what's missing? Proclaiming to yourself. That's really what the Lord's Supper is doing. It is proclaiming to us what he has done for us. And we want that to be true this morning as we hear this proclamation in taking the Lord's Supper. Because we want it to work in us a compassion, the same kind of compassion that drove the heart of Christ to us, that he would save us. But we also see in this text this morning, there's a strange dichotomy here. There are two strange things kind of working together, things that we might not always think of as being friends. And they are compassion, which we have seen already, but also rejoicing together, both in the midst of judgment. And we see that second and last this morning. Just as judgment will bring lament and fear and darkness in the world, judgment will also bring rejoicing in heaven among God's people 
Listen to verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. In this future day of judgment in heaven, saints, Christians, apostles, eyewitnesses, prophets, many of whom had been martyred in this unbelieving world, will rejoice. But they won't rejoice over the death of the wicked. They'll rejoice over the surety of God's justice. They'll rejoice over their God who takes sin seriously, a God who puts all things right again. This will be the ultimate moment of closure. Closure on the unbelieving world, closure on God's ultimate redeeming mission in Jesus Christ. Look forward to verses 21 through 24 and and hear again the backdrop of this rejoicing over God's judgment. It says in verse 21, then a strong angel picked up a stone like a great millstone, enormous millstone used for grinding wheat, huge, the same, same kind of thing that we read about in the gospels where there's a warning of it being tied around someone's neck and thrown into the sea, showing again God's seriousness for sin a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will never be found again. And the sound of harpists, musicians, flute players, trumpeters will never be heard in you again. Beautiful things. No craftsman of any craft will ever be found in you again. And the sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. And the light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of the groom and bride will never be heard in you again. For your merchants were the powerful people of the earth. Because all of the nations were deceived by your witchcraft. Verse 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all who had been slaughtered on the earth. Do you see this strange mix? It's a strange mix of compassion. Even as we read an even greater description of this coming day of judgment. When all of the music has stopped, all of the work has stopped, all of the hustle and bustle of life is put to an end. It works in us this compassion, but it also works in us a rejoicing over real closure, the real closure of the world. I wonder if you have noticed in your life and perhaps even more striking in the Bible, the lack of closure in this life. No one gets closure in this life. Think about all of the, the hardships that we face. Think about all of the broken relationships that so often are never repaired. Think about all of the losses that are, that are never fully restored in this life. Think about all that we read about in Scripture of those who who did not receive closure. Friends, this world is not the place of closure. If we're looking for closure over our past or or some, some sin committed against us or some sin that we have committed against others or these broken relationships, we will not find it. Not ultimately in this life, but we will find it in the life to come. Think about those who have gone before. Moses, of all people, didn't even make it into the promised land. 
Think about the hall of faith, which we read some from earlier as our public reading of scripture in Hebrews 11. Of all of these who were faithful to the Lord, he worked faithfully in them. And yet even they did not receive the promise. Listen again to what it says at the end of that passage in verse 13 through 16. Talking about all of those in the hall of faith, it says, All these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a, pl- a city for them. Think about the rejoicing, strange as it may sound, even in the day of judgment. Why would the saints and the prophets and the apostles and all of those who belong to Christ rejoice in the day of judgment? It's not over the death of the wicked. It's not gloating over the world. It's rejoicing that God has put all things right and that that unbelieving world which had stolen from his glory so long was closed and the new heavenly city is ultimately opened in which they will be forever. He is showing himself to be their victor, our victor in the moment of judgment. And that is reason for rejoicing. That is what these who have been faithful before us, that's what we should be focused on. We should be focused on rejoicing all that we can, magnifying our gladness, magnifying our joy and happiness by looking forward to the ultimate day of true closure and the ultimate day of true opening into our forever home, all because of our victor. This season, the Christmas season, with all of its lights and all of its beauty, seems to me the perfect time for us to celebrate our victor as he's come into the world, to to be reminded again and again. It seems as though everything in the Christmas season has some kind of obvious connection that you can make to remind you that Jesus Christ has come into the world and he's come into the world to save sinners like us and not only to save us, but to save us to to the outermost, evermore that we would be with him and that he would be the satisfier of our hearts as the victor of the people. Even that central figure that often takes center stage at this time of year around our country, Santa Claus. Now, parents, I leave that to you. However you want to handle that, you handle that. But I cannot avoid noticing the incredible similarities between the two. Almost as if even though he is everywhere plastered around the stores, He is ever pointing to Christ. It's as though he is mimicking him. It's as though he is a shadow of him, putting on display. Think about what what children believe about him and what they celebrate in, in dreaming about this figure at this time of year. 
He watches you when you sleep. He's omniscient. He has a list of everything you've done. He knows you inside and out. He's omnipresent. He somehow one night can be everywhere around the world almost at the same time. And his whole purpose in going through the world is to give supernatural gifts. It is an incredible, uncanny resemblance. In fact, do you even know what his name means? His name is a Slavic name, St. Nicholas. The name Nicholas means victor of the people. It is an incredible picture of an eternal reality who is Jesus Christ, the one who will judge and the one who saves. And he is the one who makes us rejoice. And so this morning, we want to rejoice, and every morning, to rejoice in the gospel with purpose. And at this time of year, we're going to be working together, as we always do as a church, to rejoice with purpose in the gospel, moving into the month of December as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We want him to be on center stage. We want to be reminded at every turn, but that takes purpose. That doesn't just happen. It takes intentionality from all of us in our daily lives, to be looking for Christ everywhere that we go, every reminder of him, find it, treasure it, capture it, hold it in your heart and rejoice because of what he has done for us. We're going to turn our hearts to the Lord's Supper right now. And so we want to prepare our hearts. I I want to pray for us. And while I'm praying, ask those who are going to distribute the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward. Now, I'll make the reminder again as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together that if you're here today, whether you're a church member or not, if you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus Christ, we welcome you to take the Lord's Supper with us. Rejoice over what Jesus has done for us. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this is a time for you not to take the Lord's Supper because that would be inappropriate until you've come to Christ that you can really enjoy him and that you can know that he is yours. So if that's you, then we simply ask that you would use this as a time to observe and to pray. And we're praying with you that God would give you everything that you need so that you could believe in him too with us, that he might snatch you out of this text. And he might plant you with us into the kingdom of his beloved son. I want to pray and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Let's use this as an opportunity to really reflect in our hearts what Jesus has done for us. If you're praying, waiting for the elements to come around, thank God for what he has done for you. Ask him. Ask him to give you as much joy and happiness as you heard in our prayer this morning from the Valley of Vision, as much joy in him as possible, that he would flood you with joy, overwhelming, surpassing joy that covers everything in your life so that in everything at all times, you, we, can be people of real genuine gladness and real genuine compassion because of what he has done for us. Let's pray together, prepare our hearts, and then take the Lord's Supper as we look forward to this next month of celebrating the victor of the people. Father in heaven, we come to you now asking you to work in our hearts. 
We often say that we want to prepare our hearts, but we know that only you can do that. Only you know our hearts. Only you can change our hearts. And so we ask you, by your grace, Father, change our hearts. Would you brighten our hearts? Would you shine the light of your grace yet again into our hearts that as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, it would be a true means of grace to us and that you would infuse this moment and this experience together with with a, a clear reminder of your incredible love, your incredible control, your sovereignty, your loving providence, your your covenant commitments to us. And we pray that as we take the Lord's Supper, that you would fill us with joy. That you would give us joy like we have never known. That you would make us glad, that you would fill us with happiness and and rejoicing that would drive away the fears of this day. That would answer the questions of our anxiety and that would that would give us strength to fight against our remaining sin, that would give us boldness and compassion to tell the the watching world of the good news of Christ only by which we can be saved. And so we pray that you would work in us now in supernatural ways, that you would serve us, that you would minister to us so that we would serve you and minister to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.